Fails Podcast. I am your co-host and producer. They call me Cody, Super Producer Bean, whatever you want to call me. Uh, join with me is the brains of this operation, Parker Hurley. Parker, how you doing today on this first day of football? Can you believe it? I'm doing good, man. Football is back. This is my time of the year. This is my moment, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm hyped up. I'm ready for it. Whew. All right. Well, if you guys don't know, you didn't listen to the Bills podcast. We bring you a nice little. We're gonna bring you a nice little uh, team uh, outlook, um, as you want to call it. We're gonna break down the offense, the defense. We'll kick in a little gambling, maybe a little fancy, all of the above, you know. So this this time we're doing a good old Miami Dolphins going down to South Beach here, and uh, we're gonna start with the offense over here, Parker. I mean, this is an offense that let's see, they finished around. Nah, they were not that good. Uh, Total yards, they finished twenty fifth. They uh, didn't have their starting quarterback as Tannehill went down early last year. Uh, what's uh, what's the promising? What's the promise here in the offense going into this season? Yeah, I mean the big news. You know they lost their emotional leader, Jay Cutler. You know a guy who just puts, <laughs> <laughs> he just puts his heart and soul into every single snap and just. Have you been you know, watching I, that show? Tell me how. I there's a Bears Reddit post uh, just the Jay Cutler clips, so I, I watch dude, like every. They are glorious. <laughs> it's unbelievable, dude. He is so funny. And his wife is smoke. That, uh, oh, she's unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, he watches that fucking trail cam of like random deer across oh, the country. Dude, die, dead, just dying. It's like what? <laughs> He's got that hat on, dude. You see that hat? Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! And like just like the vest he wears and stuff. She's a beautiful human. Oh, she yeah, she is incredible. But uh, he's unreal. I don't even know like how does he even land her? Like I get that he's rich and a quarterback, but dude, like what? He's smoking Jay, man. That's what he does, dude. <laughs> yeah, he's the emotional leader. <laughs> so yeah, so they they lose smoking Jay, and now they come yeah. back to Tannehill two point oh, as you can see on his brace. Yeah, so, you know, they lost their, their emotional leader in Jay Cutler, so they're going to really have to, you know, build back up off of that. And uh, hopefully a guy like Ryan Tannehill could, you know, su- could supplant that, you know, emotion that Jay Cutler kind of leads the team with. You know, hopefully you could get that out of him, but we'll see. Uh, the thing that I have with Ryan Tannehill is, you know, he's going to be 29 years old this season. We Damn. still, like, is is he good? Is he bad? Is he – No one knows. Yeah, is he like is he in the ten to seventeen range? You know, is he just gonna stay in that range forever? You know, is he gonna drop down to twenty three? Like he just seems to be. We still don't know. Like you said, um, you know, he's had three coaches so far in his NFL career. Um, he was a former wide receiver. What what year of his career is this? Do you know? Uh, twenty twelve. So 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16. This is year seven. Year seven. Oh my god! I was yeah. guessing four or fifth. Oh, he's been. Oh uh, yeah. He's been in the league seven years. Yep. He's uh, entering year seven. He's 29 years old. Wow. Um, yeah. So he's tw- he's entering year seven in the NFL. He's 29 years old. He's had three coaches so far. Um, he's coming off of the injury. He's a former wide receiver who you know early in his career. Um, they. They brought in his old college coach to, you know, kind kind of run a simplified offense for him. Um, now they're kind of just trying to redo it all with Adam Gase, who was an offensive, you know, offensive great mind. You know, he's built some really good offenses, but um, we didn't see it in the first year with Tannehill, or we saw glimpses in the first year because we always see glimpses of Ryan Tannehill. You know, he always gives you that little bit that you, you know, you keep hanging on to, uh, but. He just keeps you buying into him, and you know he's 29. He's coming off the ACL, but I'm still, you know, we're still wondering, you know. 
could this be the year for Ryan? You know, is this a year that he's a guy who, you know, leads this team to the playoffs or takes this team to the next step? Because, you know, they have some pieces around him. It's just, it's going to come down to him. And um, I'm not, you know, I'm going to completely admit, you know, exactly how I feel about these players. I just don't know how to feel about Ryan Tannehill. You know, it's his second year with this new offense and all of these surrounding questions around him. You know, it's really hard to understand what you're going to get from him. Um, so it, it's tough at this point to, to project uh, Ryan Tannehill. And that makes it tough to project the Dolphins from there. All right. Well, let's say Tannehill, you know, let's say uh, he'll be fine. Do you think the offensive line will be fine protecting him? It's definitely a question mark, um, and there's a couple spots that I do like the team at, um, and it's left tackle, obviously. Um, you get Laramie Tunsil. Um, we all kind of know the story about him and where he came from. Um, fell down the draft, you know, due to the weed smoking and everything like that. Oh, um, epic picture. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, he started early in his career. He was a left guard because, um, you know, the Dolphins just drafted him because he fell down. You know, that wasn't a need for the team. It was more of just he's the best player available. We don't care about this issue. Um, we're drafting him. So they kind of stuck him in at left guard for a little bit. And, um, you know, finally, this is his second year as a starter left tackle. Um, he wasn't great last year, but you could definitely see glimpses. And you could definitely hope that, you know, he becomes the, the, the starting left tackle that, you know, he was arguably going to be a top five pick before, you know, all of that stuff started to happen for him. So um, this is year three for him in the NFL. And I really think, you know, year two in his starting position that I really think he's going to start to start to see things click. And, you know, if you're protecting the blind side, that's obviously going to help Ryan Tannehill. Um, the question is really, in my opinion, the rest of the rest of this offensive line, you know, um, Josh Sitton is a guy they signed from the, uh, the Chicago bears. The bears let him go this season. Um, he was fine last season, honestly, and I think he should be fine for the Bills or for the uh, Dolphins, and he should really, you know, uh, beef up that left side of the line. Uh, the only issue with him is he's 31. Um, he's missed a few games over each of the past two seasons, so um, you're probably not going to get a full 16 out of him. And like I said, at age 31, that's typically when a player would start to see his decline. So um, maybe not a build off of last season. But, you know, at least if you get a plateau or a similar um, similar type of play from last season, you're completely fine with the left side of your offensive line. Um, heading from left to right, you go to the center position. Um, they added Daniel Kilgore from uh, the San Francisco 49ers. And I mean, the thing that I would just say is, you know, Kyle Shanahan is arguably the best offensive mind in the NFL. You know, he's at least one of them. And, you know, two things that he's done so far when he went to Atlanta and when he went to San Francisco – Two things that nobody talks about is at the center position. Um, he went out and got Alex Mack, and then he went out and got Weston Richburg and got rid of Daniel Kilgore. Um, the reason for that is he likes his centers to be extremely athletic. He likes to do things at the second level with centers where most people typically see, you know, if you have to snap the football, um, the other the other four players have, you know, that easier way to get to the second level you know you mm -hmm. can pull guards all the time you can even pull tackles at times not many teams like to pull their centers because they have to snap the football first then they have to find their read and then they have to make their move um kyle shanahan looks for centers who can do that because it adds such a dimension to the game so when kyle shanahan says that daniel kilgore is not athletic or is not talented enough to do this for me and then you're bringing him in as you know a potential starting guard or a potential center for your team that's where i start to have issues in what daniel kilgore is and what you're supposed to be getting out of him um i think he's just the fact that last year you know they've had mike pouncey for years and years and years 
and he's never healthy and he's never healthy and he's always, you know, a headache for this or an issue for that. Um, they just said, you know, enough is enough of Mike Pouncey. At least this guy will give us 16 starting games. So um, you could argue it's an upgrade from Pouncey because, you know, 10 games of Pouncey versus 16 for Kilgore. But that's really the only thing that he's giving you more than a player like Pouncey is availability. Um, going right to the right side, a right guard is uh, Jesse Davis. Uh, they brought him in this year. He bounced around, was a UDFA. Um, really don't like what they're going to do uh, right there at guard. But um, they do have Isaac Isaac Asiata. Um, I believe last year he was a rookie. And then Ted Larson is really just a depth name journeyman. Uh, so, you know, between the three, maybe one of them steps up. Um, I would hope for Isaac Asiata. I think he has the highest upside. But um, honestly, the right guard position, in my opinion, isn't strong either. Um, that compounds with the center. And then you go to the right tackle spot. Um, Jawan James was uh, drafted somewhat high as well, but um, he missed eight games last season with a hamstring injury. So, um, you know, momentum was swinging high for him heading into the 2017 season. Um, 2017 kind of plateaued. Um, if he can get back, at least, you know, I would say I have faith in three-fifths three of the offensive line. But um, right now I kind of only have faith in one or two of the guys. Um, and that's based on, you know, Tunsil taking a step forward and sitting, not dropping off despite being let go by his uh, former team. And um, and then, like I said, when you look to the depth of the unit, you know, there's there's definitely some questions there. So um, Tannehill has his blind side. He has Tunsil and that should be there for the future. But the rest of the unit, I'm just not really uh, I'm really not buying into too much. Would you describe their strength as more as a, uh, a run blocking or pass block? Um, probably a pass blocking team at this point. Which is going to be interesting, you know, when you kind of get into who the running backs are, because in my opinion, two of them are pass catching running backs. So um, mm. I do think that that's going to at least add in. And, um, you know, you get some short passing from Ryan Tannehill. So that would help as well. So, um, yeah, I, th I think that they're more designed to, to do the short passing game. Okay, well, let's get into these running backs here. Um, I'm reading some Miami uh, Dolphins headlines, and they're calling it the three-headed monster at this point with uh, Frank Gore, Kenyon Drake, and the good old rookie Belage there. What's your thoughts on these running backs? Yeah, um, you talked about it. It's a three-headed monster, and I actually really like what Adam Gase has in mind for this three-headed monster um, just because they all kind of complement each other well. Um, I don't think any any of these running backs are really going to shine away from the pack, but I think they all complement each other well enough to the point where um, he can use all three of them successfully, in my opinion. And you need a smart person who knows when to specialize in these players, and I think a guy like Gase is that type of person. So um, we'll start with Kenyon Drake. Um, really blew up towards the end of last season, but um, he finished his rookie season with 133 carries, that's the most he's ever had in his entire life. Um, he had 92 carries, was a career high at Alabama. Um, he never topped that in high school either. Um, you look at it, you know, he went to the combine. He did 10 reps at the bench. So um, this is a player, in my opinion, and, you know, throughout his career at this point, um, is a player who doesn't have the durability. You know, he's a little undersized. Um, he's a bit of an upright, upright runner as well. Uh, but he has the big play threats. Um, he really yeah, does. He, does. And he, he has some great vision as well. So this is where I'm kind of talking about if Gase uses him in the, you know, in the perfect situations in the right ways. Um, if you can get him on those, you know, those counters, those zone blocking schemes where he can take that quick step hard, cut to the hole and, you know, kind of just hit it. Um, he's there. I just don't think he's a player that you want to give 20 carries to. Or if you're leading in the fourth quarter, you know, I don't think you're running the ball with Kenyon Drake. Um, that's where Frank Gore comes into play. And I think that he has a very significant role in the fact that Drake is not – I don't think he's big enough to run between the tackles. And we'll get to Balazs, who I don't think is um, 
I guess the word is is smart enough at this point. Um, he's just too raw at this point to be consistent between the tackles. So um, if you're talking about, hey, this team needs to run consistently between the tackles, you're talking about Frank Gore has to be that player. And, you know, that's why I talked about how I think that they're probably set up for more short passes. They're probably set up to pass the football more. And that does give you, you know, Drake and Bellage more um, – more power, more snaps than uh, than a guy like Frank Gore. But Gore is going to see snaps at his old age. Um, he's going to get the goal line. He's going to be a good player for um, for morale. You know, if he's a good locker room player. Um, he could maybe add some strength to a player like Kenyon Drake. But um, the player that I'm really excited about and the player that I think that Gore could at least help mainly is Kalen Bellage um, from Arizona State. A lot of people remember him because he had a six-touchdown game for Arizona State a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, this dude is... The way that somebody described him, I wish I try to give credit to people who, um, you know, come up with smart. Someone described him as uh, the Josh Allen of of running backs in this 2018 draft, you know, and I I kind of subscribe Josh to that. Allen. I he's the Josh Allen of running backs. Um, the upside is just incredible. He has the size of Adrian Peterson, and he cuts like Lashawn McCoy. You know, it's it's incredible what he can do. Um, but he has no nuance to his game whatsoever. And, you know, that means running into the backs of his offensive line. That means, you know, no vision whatsoever, you know, kind of running into holes that are already filled, cutting things outside when he shouldn't be. Uh, um, lacks, lacks all of the nuance of the game. And that's where you get a guy like Frank Gore in the locker room with him. And, you know, Frank says, look at your body, look at your strength. If you position yourself in this way and you lower your shoulder at this specific moment, this is how you leverage power and you can pick up two to three extra yards. And if that can connect for Belage, it really could be something. Um, as for his rookie season, what's crazy about him is some people are projecting him as like a pseudo slot receiver or a player, you know, you could run two backs. You could run uh, Drake and Belage in one of the two slots, you know, motions out to motions out wide or motions out into the slot. The other's still in the backfield. Um, you can run reverses out of that. You can run screens out of that. You can run a lot of things out of that. And you can obviously run the football out of that. You have two running backs on the field. So that makes things a lot that makes things very diverse. It makes teams say, we have to run nickel because you have a you know, you have th- technically three wide receivers. One of your running backs is a wide receiver. Yeah. But if you're gonna run the ball down our throats, we need to get the heck out of nickel. So that's where a player like Kalen Bellage becomes a mismatch weapon. Um, I really like his ability to catch the football. For his size, it's incredible how he how well he can catch the football. It's just how much of the offense can he pick up? How much of the nuances of the game can he pick up? And you know when can he be involved in this offense? Because you know right now he's clearly the third guy and he's you know well behind the other two. But um, I just trust a guy like Frank Gordy. You know he's not competing with Kalen Balaj. You know he's a veteran who knows his role and he wants to carry Kalen Balazs up to his level rather than compete with him for a job. So um, that's why I think Frank Gore is a really good signing. And that's why I like the upside of Balazs, maybe not even this year, but definitely into the future. Yeah. I mean, these running backs are definitely very intriguing. I mean, do you think like, you know, Kenyon Drake and Gore will split the carries like 60, 40 and maybe like Balazs would be like a third down back, something like that. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I would say, Give Bellage the majority, or not Bellage, give uh, Kenyon Drake the majority. Um, maybe even like, you know, 50% for Drake, um, like 30% for uh, Frank Gore, and then like 20% yeah. for Bellage. Something along those lines, even, um, is, is how I would see it probably shaking out. All right. Well, uh, quick fantasy nugget here. Uh, if you were going to pick us a little fantasy guy this backfield, I mean, like, we have Drake going around uh, RB, like 15 to 17 right around there. Would you take him around there? Um,. 
Probably not, honestly. No, I would probably I would look for him as more of a flex option. So um, it would be more of like the twenty four type of range is where I would mm. probably be looking for him. The upside is there, and I could totally you know you could write a story to where it's, it it happens for him. But um, I talked about it. I don't trust him to get enough of the carries. Um, I don't trust him durability wise, and um, I'm more into the Kalen Bellage. So um, we talked about a dynasty sleeper in the Buffalo Bills yeah. podcast. I'm going to give you another dynasty sleeper, you know, Belong. in fantasy. Hang on to Kalen Bellage. Um, hold on to him. See what you can do with him. Um, it, it might happen in the passing game this year and then eventually in the rushing game. So that's interesting to me. Um, and, you know, overall in fantasy, he's just the cheaper of the three. So, you know, even in a redraft league, um, maybe pass on those two at their ADP and then take a guy like Bellage super late and then if he – if he hits, you know, he has the exact upside of a Kenyon Drake. So, you know, you have a fifth round pick that you're taking in your last round. Um, and it's not a crazy story to write that Bellage has, you know, success that Kenyon Drake gets hurt in week two and Bellage takes over for the rest of the season. And, and even Frank Gore, I mean, like, if you're in like a deep league and you need a running back, I mean, he's always reliable. Right. He's getting, what, 10 carries a game at least? Yeah, and if you're like if you're somebody who you know shoots for a Lev Bell, and you know, oh, I'm I'm worried about the holdout, you know, then take a guy like Frank Gore, you know, because Bell has that insane upside, but Frank Gore has that floor that, that you know at least geez. he can get you some points. You know, if Lev Bell completely busts out and flames out and gets me nothing, at least I have something because I drafted a stable guy in Frank Gore. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to his receiving corpse here. Um, they they lost a big guy in good old Jarvis Landry, the reception hog. They added right. a nice little Danny Amendola. And uh, so what, what do you got going on here with the receiving corps? Yeah, they lost uh, really the heart and soul. And I mean, I'm not a big Jarvis Landry fan. Um, I think he was kind of a glorified running back due to how off, or how short of uh, distances they threw him the ball. And they were just expecting him to do a lot of things yards after the catch-wise. Um, and he, you know, he did it for the most part, but he was also the only player to have 100 catches and fail to receive for 1,000 um, yards. 1,000 yards, I know. <laughs> 112 for like 900 something. 112 for 900 something. That speaks exactly to the fact that they just threw it to him at the line of scrimmage and said, here you go. Now you're a running back. Figure it out from here. And, um, you know, he did what he could do, but I don't think he was put in advantageous situations. And I actually think that the overall flow of the offense will be better without the need to force feed Jarvis Landry the football the way that they have been. Um, The question is, is this, is the skill and is the talent there? Um, Devontae Parker is the guy that, you know, if it if it happens for this guy, you know he's a first round pick. He's everything you expect him to be: a talented, physical wide receiver. Um, can win in the possession game. Can win in the air. He just doesn't do it consistently enough. Um, there's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of beat reporters. There's a lot of talk about this dude. Just loves to play video games, and he's just. He's, <laughs> I mean, nah, just straight up, yeah, that's a report. Straight up how it is. This dude is just playing video games like crazy. Um, there are fans who you know post pictures seeing him up. Oh, he's on live again. You know he logged back on the live. Oh my um, god. He's on for the night, you know. He's first round pick, all the talent in the world. Why hasn't it happened yet? Because you know he's not putting in the work. Because he's, you know, he spent the night late up, you know, late playing live all night. So um, that's honestly that's the reports that I'm getting from Parker, and that's why it hasn't come together for him. So um, I don't trust him. I really don't. I I trusted him coming out of Louisville, but um, you know, it's one of those fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, you know. I'm out, and I'm out on Devonte Parker, unfortunately. Um, like I said, with a, with a guy like Drake, you can paint me the story where it happens for him. It's yeah. just I'm in, I'm in the camp where I need to see it before I'm going to believe it. Um, so that's why, honestly, I think the guy that is probably going to be the best in this in this offense is Kenny Stills. And it comes Kenny. back to um, what what uh, Ryan Tannehill does. And what he does is, you know, like I said, he was a receiver who got drafted based off of this raw talent. 
And it's the fact that this dude has a cannon and he can throw the ball deep down the field and he can throw it accurately. And that's what Kenny Stills does. That's literally all he does is runs deep and tracks footballs. Um, mm-hmm. Takes the top off. He's coming off of his best two seasons, which came in, in this Adam Gase offense. So, um, you know, he's been a perfect fit for the Gase offense. He had nine touchdowns in uh, the first year of the Gase offense, which was his only year with Ryan Tannehill in this offense. So, um, if you watch the Dolphins game, he gets like weirdly open, especially for like a nice like thirty yard touchdown, just out of nowhere. It's wild. Out to of say. nowhere, yep. He's a great deep threat. He really is, um, and he's underrated because you know there's been these offensive issues. There's been Tannehill in and out of the situation, but um, like I said, if you're gonna get a guy with you know who could put up nine touchdowns, who could stretch the field, who could make things easier on a Devonte Parker, you know, take some coverage away, take the safety. You know, the safety's worried about Stills taking the top off instead of you know the highly athletic Devonte Parker. Maybe yeah. things get easier for him on the outside. So um, the guy that I'm betting the the guy that I'm betting on is uh, Kenny Stills for the wide receiver core. Um, you talked about the two players who are gonna have to slot in for Jarvis Landry is um, Danny Amendola and Albert Wilson. Um, Danny. Amendola is strictly going to be the slot player. Um, hopefully, he you know would be a type of Jarvis Landry player. Um, but you would be you know you wouldn't just be throwing him the ball like how I said you know and you're just saying go get yards. You know you're kind of he can he's running routes down the field more often than a guy like Jarvis Landry. But the issue with uh, Amendola, it's been nine NFL seasons. He's never hit 700 receiving yards. Yeah. So we have this big hole with Jarvis Landry, and we're trying to fill it with a guy who hasn't hit at 700 receiving yards due to health. Um, not really betting on him. So the question becomes, is Albert Wilson that guy? Well, the, you know, the, the good news about Danny Amendola is that he did break up with his – did you ever see his girlfriend, uh, Olivia no. DePupio, or I can't even say her name? <laughs> no. they, they broke up, and she – I mean, she's like a 15 out of 10. But they are back together, and they're living in South Beach. So, I mean, you know, he's probably feeling good out there, so you never he's, know. He's got the son. He's got his girl. I mean, if, if it's going to be – any year that he breaks 700 yards receiving, it will be his 10th year in the NFL. So, you heard your first. Yeah, we'll see. All he needs, all he needed to get was you know some son and his girl, right? So um, <laughs> we'll see about him. But I mean, I honestly feel like there's a chance that Albert Wilson will probably be taking some of his slots or uh, some of his snaps in the slot. Um, Adam Gase said something, or no, it wasn't Adam Gase. It was Dowell Loggins who I think their offensive coordinator. Um, I write for the Chicago Bears at BearGogglesOn.com. Dowell Loggins was the offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears last season. And I'm just so sorry that you guys have to go through this uh, this season. Luckily, you have Adam Gase who's going to, you know, for the most part have control of this offense. But Dowell Loggins is living in the 70s, and he really doesn't know what he's doing. And um, he talked about how he thinks Albert Wilson is this uh, big-time outside receiver. Um, he showed it well uh, last year with the Chiefs. Um, so I'm kind of saying, you know, is this what's you – know, is he going to be pushing Devontae Parker – you know, and you got Stills on the outside, Albert Wilson on the outside, and Amendola. You know, that's really what you're going to roll with. Um, I like Albert Wilson actually um, because I think he's really good in the screen game. Um, I think he's really good blocking in the screen game as well. Um, for a guy like Tyreek Hill, I thought that he was really strong uh, last season. So, you know, if you had a guy like Jarvis Landry, you'd really like him on the outside. But I just I don't get what they're trying to do with Amendola and Albert Wilson. Um, it just feels like they're saying, well, these two combined are going to replace Jarvis Landry, but only one's going to be on the field at the same time. So it's like, what are you really getting out of these guys? Um, Depth-wise, Leonte Carew, um, he's a great route runner. It just doesn't seem like it's ever going to come together for him otherwise. Um, so I really wouldn't bet on him, but he's a guy. He could play outside and in the slot as well. So, um, And Jakeem Grant is a return man. Um, poor man's Tyreek Hill. I don't see him uh, being a similar player to Tyreek Hill, unfortunately. So you look at this. I like I like Kenny Stills. And then 
everything else is just you know question mark mixing and matching and i i trust gase i don't trust dowell loggins when it comes to the mixing and matching of skill players all right well let's break in the fancy here so basically you're saying you don't really like Devonte. so i'm guessing you don't like his uh he's going around wide receiver 36 you probably don't like that but no. you'd probably like kenny stills maybe as like a deep flex like just on the yep. bench kind of guy Yep, that's. I mean, I'm gonna. That's probably the type of analysis that I'm gonna continue to give is these conservative plays, these deep, you know, shots in the dark that you know. Hopefully, oh, if yeah. this hits, um, but Kenny Stills is the guy that I would be looking at from this offense. Like I said, nine touchdowns. The only season that him, uh, Gase, and Tannehill were together. Um, if you're getting that as late as you're getting that, um, as you're drafting him in fantasy, um, you're winning big time. So, um, it's not a game changing draft pick, but I think Kenny Stills will probably be the most relevant. Um, of this group, you could argue Albert Wilson, but I just don't trust the talent. And I, like I said, I don't trust Dowell Loggins to be able to put him in the right situations. What about good old Danny Amendola in a PPR? Is he's definitely, I would say, playable in at least a twelve team. Right, and this I I can give credit to the person whose idea this is. Sigmund Bloom always says he's a fantasy prognosticator. He's one of the best in the business, in my opinion. He always says that if you're going to draft bench players. Draft players who you're going to find out in the first week or two if they're going to help you or not, because then you can drop those players quickly and uh, pick up the best waiver wire players. You know, you're always ready to pick up those waiver wire players who could change your season. A guy like Danny Amendola is exactly what you're doing when you're doing that, because within a week or two, you're probably going to say, okay, he's a huge part of this offense. Um, They're going to ride him until he's injured. I'm going to be able to start him, you know, maybe for the first six weeks, even if he gets injured in week seven. I just got six weeks of a, of a starting receiver, you know, as late as I got Danny Amendola. Um, but you could obviously at the same time, it could be week one. He's not involved. He has the injury questions or he's injured in camp already. And you get, you know, you just let go of him and you pick up the waiver wire guy, um, you know, the hot waiver wire guy. It's really a low risk, um, at least somewhat of a reward for a guy like Danny Amendola. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you not to draft Danny Amendola. All right, Parks, let's move on to the good old uh, tight ends here. The tight ends are interesting. Um, Really due to the fact that they're similar to the running backs and where each one has a role and if you use them correctly, it could really work out for you. Um, but then at the same time, you know, I talked about how I don't trust Dowell Loggins. Um, to start with Mike Gesicki, um, Dowell Loggins straight up after the draft said he doesn't know how he's going to utilize Mike Gesicki. I just don't know how your offensive coordinator says something like that. You know, he was a second round pick. He was, you know, he was, uh, I believe since Vernon Davis, he had the best combine for any tight end um, coming out of the NFL, coming into the NFL draft. So this is, you know, arguably the most elite uh, tight end uh, athlete to come into the draft in 10 years. So um, to verify, he's the big white guy, right? Yeah. Yep. Former volleyball player. Um, just yeah he jumps out of the freaking gym um the, the issue that i have with him is he's not refined um he is a former volleyball player and you know he's gonna win every single jump ball and he's gonna win them in just ridiculous ways but he doesn't he doesn't block well um i know a lot of people don't have an issue with that and it's because i'm gonna get to the fact that um they have a blocker they actually have two potential blockers at tight end so you're not gonna line up mike Gesicki in line that's really not what he's here for he's more of an oversized slot receiver who can stretch the field um, over the middle. Like I talked about, Kenny Stills can get that deep sideline. Um, Gesicki can go deep over the middle, and that's what opens things up for a guy like Danny Amendola, for a guy like uh, um, for a guy like Albert Wilson underneath is because of a guy like Gesicki and, uh, and Kenny Stills. My issue is, like I said, um, Dowell Loggins said he doesn't know how to use him. Um, he didn't know how to use Adam Shaheen for the Chicago Bears last season. That was a second-round pick who um, I've written extensively about Adam Shaheen. Um, he was a project too, 
who they thought he was going to be a bad blocker. He was a, a great blocker. And Dowell Loggins still didn't know what to do with him because, I don't know, Dowell Loggins just doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing. Um, so I just have an issue with, you know, how are they going to utilize Gasicki? Are they going to try and, you know, he's blocking in camp, obviously, in my opinion, because you have to eventually get this, you know, issue resolved. I'm just, I don't think that you want to put him in blocking situations um, in the NFL regular season. The other issue with him is he doesn't run routes well. Um, he's not refined and he's not nuanced. Um, there's some tape of him literally falling on the football field, um, trying to get in and out of his breaks because he is so big and he is moving so fast to change directions the way that he's trying to change directions so quickly. It, it doesn't happen for him sometimes. So um, that's a huge issue. I just think that, you know, right now all he can do is go over the middle and stretch the field. So it, it's limited at the very most. Um, the next guy down the line is Marquise Gray. Um, I talked about how I think he can block at least better than Mike Gesicki, but um, he's still – he would be the U tight end in this uh, – like I said, they're kind of using all three tight ends in different ways. Um, so you have the you know the slot tight end who's going to stretch the middle of the field. Marquise Gray is the move tight end who could you know line up in basically every single position. You know He could even drop back and be the fullback. Um, he could be an inline blocker. Um, you could get him the ball in reverses even. Um, he's a former athlete. Was a quarterback at Minnesota, um, turned tight end. I think it's his fourth year in the NFL now, but I really like um, how he's progressed to the tight end position. And I like that he's a move type of player. Um, to go right back to the Chicago Bears, they just signed Trey Burton to a big extension. Um, I see Marcus Gray in a similar way to Trey Burton. So um, I think that he'll at least have a role. And like I said, he'll at least be a better blocker than Gesicki. So you can get those two on the field together and you can um, use them schematically to create mismatches. Um, the last player that I would probably think of as the three tight ends, um, you know, you have your F, your Y, your U. Um, like I said, the U is the guy like Gray who kind of moves around. The F is the slot like Gesicki. And then you have your Y who is your inline, your standard blocking tight end. Um, that would be Durham Smythe who is a rookie. Um, I believe he's from Stanford. Um, just what you would expect from a blocking tight end from Stanford um, really makes <laughs> – <laughs> he's you know, he holds the thing down. And uh, when you put the pass catching of Gesicki and the blocking of him on the same field, you can start to do a lot of things. It's just like I said, um, you, you have to trust the coaching staff. And when a guy like Dowell Loggins comes out and says, well, I don't really know how to use Gasicki yet. We're figuring things out with him. It makes me nervous. Um, A.J. Derby's really the last player that I'll talk about because um, I think he plays a similar style of football to Gasicki. So if this team is having issues figuring out what to do with Gasicki, he's probably – A.J. Derby's probably going to see the field over him. Um, I think that would probably hold the offense back and it would obviously hold back the growth of Gasicki. But I just saw it happen last year in a Dow Loggins offense with Adam Shaheen. So I could definitely see it happen with a Dow Loggins offense again this year. Oh, well, that's good to know. Uh, AJ, AJ Derby is the Denver guy, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he uh, he's the flow, I'm thinking. Am I thinking the right guy? Yeah, yep. He, he caught like what two he touchdowns? Had a couple, yep, he had a couple of nice catches. Yeah, he always, you know, caught he's my a guy. eye a couple of times. He's a guy. He's a guy out there, definitely. Well, all right, so let's wrap up this offense here. I mean, this this offense last year, they finished uh, pretty bad in the ranks. Their offensive passing wasn't too bad, and that was with Jay Cutler. I mean, so as a fan of the Miami Dolphins, do we have any promise here? What's going on? I mean, compared to last year, there has to be promise because even with me admitting I don't know what you're expecting from Ryan Tannehill, I'm expecting more than Jay Cutler, you know? Um, and I talked about how, you know, you have the issues with the offensive coordinator, but I really do think that, you know, between Adam Gase, you know, who I trust Adam Gase, I don't trust Dowell Loggins at all. I think that between the two, 
there's at least going to be something there, you know. Um, you add in a guy like Balazs, who I think could, you know, be a mismatch player. Um, you add in a guy, um, Gasicki, like I said, a mismatch type of player. Um, they're going to spread the field. Um, so I do think that overall, the offense has to be better, right? It just has to be. Um, Let's hope. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. It, it just has to be. All right. Well, let's go to this uh, defense here. and uh, Let's start with the good old D-line, which I think is, what, maybe the most promising? No. <laughs> no? All right. Well, I guess it depends how you would look at it. Um, If you're looking at the interior defensive line, I don't have much faith, and it comes down to the fact that you lost Indomitian Sue, who um, got you five sacks per year over the last three years. He had four and a half last season. Um, He's the only upfield penetrator that you had of of your interior defensive group, and um, he's gone now, and they didn't really do anything to replace him. You go down this depth. You know some of the depth of this interior defensive line. Um, Jordan Phillips, who I really thought was coming along um, as an interior guy next to Indomitian Sue, um, really because he's a space eater. Um, he's a big guy. He's really physical. Um, he takes the space to where Sue can kind of you know jump around him. He takes up the blocker. Sue up uh, penetrates up the field. The question is, you know, so he's great in his role. Who's gonna Who's gonna be that upfield penetrator next to him? It's not gonna be Devon Godcho from uh, LSU. He's honestly, um, he would be a great rotational piece for Jordan Phillips. He would be a great depth piece for Jordan Phillips. So then you start to look at, it's Vincent Taylor. Um, I think he was a sixth round pick from Oklahoma State. Um, he's a super athlete and he could potentially get upfield, but he's also a huge body. Um, he's coming off of an injury. Um, I, I just don't trust, you know, there's really nothing that you could say from anything that he's shown in the NFL that would make you say, well, he could sub in for Sue and he could take a little of the pressure <laughs> off of Sue. Um, and then there's Akeem Spence, you know, a veteran journeyman, a depth piece. I don't yep. think, you know, he's fine. He's going to hold things down, but he's not an upfield penetrator either. So you kind of just have four guys, you know, f- just four Jags, you know, just a guy. And they're all just kind of rotating and that's fine. But, um, you know, we, like we're comparing to last year, it's definitely a step back from last year. And um, they're going to have to get more sacks from their edge rushers now. And they're going to have to rely more on their edge rushers now. Um well, that's what I was really looking at. Them. I was looking at like their defensive line here. I'm looking at yeah. Quinn and Wake. I'm like, oh my god, they're sick. But I guess right. that's where, yeah, when you differentiate to interiorly, I don't think they're going to help on the defensive line. Yeah. But on the on the edges, I really do. Th- there is something there. Um, and you know, I talked about it. One thing that I'm going to probably talk about for every single team because it's one of the most important things in football, in my opinion, is to be able to rush four pass rushers, to be able to rotate four guys in. Um, the Eagles did it last year, and they won a Super Bowl off of it. You know, most teams, the Seattle Seahawks, that's how they did their Legion of Boom. You know, it was Bennett, it was Averill, it was guys like that rotating in consistently. Um, the Dolphins are trying to do that. They have four guys who they could potentially um, rotate rotate into this line. Um, it starts with Cameron Wake. Um, Wake's still pretty good, um, in my opinion. Um, he's lost a lot of his athleticism, has some knee surgeries, but in my opinion, it doesn't really matter to him because he's so technically sound and he's such a smart player to where he's just always going to get his. He really is, and it, it doesn't have to do with athleticism. So his career has been extended because of this, and it's going to continue to be extended because of this. So I really like Cameron Wake. Um, the exact opposite story could be said for Robert Quinn, though. And this is where I really start to have an issue with the uh, the Indomitian Sioux loss because you essentially swap out Sioux for Quinn. I've already said that you know the edges are probably your strength, the interior is your weakness. So you're adding to a strength and taking away from your weakness at this point. 
Then at the same time, Robert Quinn hasn't been good for about two years now. Um, he's a player to where um, I said how Cameron Wake wins with smarts and athleticism. Robert Quinn, or he wins with smarts and technique. Robert Quinn wins more with athleticism and um, his just physicality and his size. And at this point, it's really not there at the same rate that it used to be. And um, he's starting to slow down at the same rate as Cameron Wake, but he doesn't have the technique to keep up with a guy like Cameron Wake. So I like it in the in the vacuum of he's a rotational pass rusher in this group of four now. You know, his snaps are going to be limited. He's going to be giving it his all on, you know, 20 snaps a game. And with his athleticism at a decreased rate, maybe you do get something there. I don't like it in the idea of, well, we lost Sue and here's the here's a pass rushing replacement for Sue. I don't see it in that way. Um, especially when you have Charles Harris on your team. Um, he was a first-round pick last year. Um, I still really like him because he actually compared extremely favorably to Cameron Wake, and it had to do with his ability to uh, – he has a great jump off of the football. Um, he went to the combine, and he didn't test very athletically, which to me – and you know, which I think um, you should probably assume that that great jump comes down to his, um, his intuitiveness, his ability to understand and to be able to – to be able to read the center and to read the snap and to get off of the football at that rate. So um, he had a really bad rookie season. Um, I think he had some injuries as well. So um, I think that you would hope that next year Harris Harris steps into a starting role across from Wake, and then you have a guy like Quinn who could rotate in with those two. And like I said, when he's rotating in, you're hoping to get the most of his athleticism at that point. Um, lastly, they have Andre Branch and William Hayes. Um, I think both are strong depth pieces, so um, – like I said, this is quite obviously the strength of, of the defensive front for sure. Um, it's just, did you take away too much in the interior for this exterior? I mean, oh, then you could you could say that, you know, some of these guys could slide in on nickel situations. It's still just, it's it's tough for me to, to get too excited about the pass rush because I just don't trust really anyone on the interior to get upfield. Would you say their pass rush or uh, run block, uh, run whatever you want to call it, run defense is better? That's a good question because on the interior, the run defense is better. And then on the exterior, um, the pass rush is obviously better. Um, so I would actually have to say the run defense um, because they they really are solid up front. And um, I, I do think that, you know, Cameron Wake can set the edge. Robert Absolutely. Quinn, you know, like I said, he's not going to get upfield as much as you'd like, but he can set the edge. You know, these pass rushers can also help in the run defense. Um but yeah, I, I do have some serious questions um, about the entirety of this pass rushing group. So I would say they're they're more uh, they're more prepared to stop the run at this point. Ah, all right. Well, let's move on to these linebackers here. What's your thoughts on these boys? This is an interesting group, um, and there's pretty much question marks, you know, from one all the way down. Um, the the guy that I well, Kiko Alonso is who we'll start it off with um, because he's the most notable player. Um, He's coming off of a few injuries. He's absolutely lost a step. And, um, you know, we just remember him from that rookie season. Um, he never got back to that. And it, it's a shame, but he really never did. And uh, now he's kind of just a player. You know, he's just an average middle-of-the-road linebacker. Um, I wouldn't trust him in the middle. Um, I would probably try to move him more to the Will spot or maybe to the Sam spot. And with that in mind, I would probably be looking to take Raekwon McMillan. Um, he was a middle linebacker for Ohio State two years ago. Um, missed the entire rookie season with a with a lower leg injury. I forget what exactly he tore, but um, he, in my opinion, is a, he's a downhill run stuffer. Um, he's the guy that, I, like I said, I think he could stand in the middle, take the mic job. Um, he's a good communicator coming from that Ohio State defense to where you know they kind of breed those type of defensive players. So um, 
he's not as high of an athlete, but I think because of his power and because of his strength and his downhill motor that um, in year two, I think he could start. Um, he's honestly somewhat similar to Stefan Anthony, who was a former first round pick for the Saints, um, just has been a complete bust so far this year or so far in his career. Um, but he's been the Mike. I tend to think that if McMillan is the Mike in the middle, you put uh, Kiko Alonso at the will because he can still defend enough. And then you put a guy like uh, Stefan Anthony at the Sam because he's the strong linebacker. Um, he's a downhill penetrator. Um, he's a rusher as well. And then you probably only get him on the field for specific pass rushing situations. So now, you know, I was worried about, oh, you don't have that interior rush up the middle. Well, Raekwon McMillan's a downhill player and Stefan Anthony's a downhill player. So maybe they can start to substitute with some of their blitzing with that. Um, the issue that I have with that is then you're exposing Kiko Alonso in the passing game. But um, the player that I would think would at some point come in for him would be Jerome Baker, another Ohio State player. Um, he's a rookie this year. Um, I wrote something about him. You could probably Google Parker Hurley, Jerome Baker, and it would come up. Um, I just I didn't like his run defense at all. Um, I knew I wrote about it for the Steelers. I didn't want the Steelers to draft him because I did not trust his run defense. Um, but I do think that, it, like I said, if you put him in that will spot um, where Kiko Alonso could potentially play, and you have a guy like McMillan who's a downhill you know run stuffer, you have Anthony who's a downhill run stuffer. Um, maybe you just get him you know specifically to match up on running backs or specifically to match up on you know a, a, a stretch a tight end like that. So um, it takes the athleticism, the lack of athleticism that Alonzo has off of the field, puts an athlete on the field. Alonzo is definitely a much better tackler, much better against the run. Um, with his veteran status, he's going to start the season, and Baker will be on the uh, he'll be on the sideline trying to earn some snaps. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, by the end of the season, in nickel situations, it's Raquan McMillan next to Jerome Baker as the two starters. Um, Mike McRae is the last name to watch. Just another. He's pretty slow, but he's a downhill run stuffer as well. Um, could probably play the Sam in a pinch if he needed to, but um, he would probably play uh, middle linebacker as well. Oh, all right. Well, let's work our way back to this good old secondary here. huh? We got some cornerbacks and maybe a little safety. Uh, what's your thoughts on these boys? Yeah, and um, for as much as I was, you know, down on the interior, not, you know, question marks all over the linebacker core, um, wish the edge, you know, provided a little more overall to the team. Mm -hmm. I'm just gushing over the secondary. Um, oh. I think the secondary is really strong right now, and um, they could really be something this year. And um, we'll start with the cornerbacks because Mika Fitzpatrick kind of throws things off, but we'll start with the cornerbacks. And um, it starts, in my opinion, with uh, Cordrea Tankersley across from Xavier and Howard. And neither of those players are names yet, but I would bet if we're doing this podcast next year that we're kind of talking about both, like, Oh yeah, you know it's just it's Tankersley and Howard. You know those are the guys. You know they were the guys last year, and um, yeah, I really think they're starting to come around. Uh, Tankersley was a rookie last year, um, started on the bench, earned his way up due to you know injuries in in the whatnot, and uh, I really liked him coming out of Clemson because I thought he was long and I thought he was quick and pressed to put his hands on the receiver. You know he was really fast with his length to be able to you know to jam receivers at the line of scrimmage, and I thought that was really impressive, and it started to show over the course of the season, and um. He started to earn some snaps by the end of the year. I really like him in year two. Um, Xavier Howard is a player that I wasn't as high on um, coming out of the draft from Baylor. Um, kind of struggled early on in, 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 into his career, but last season, it finally looked like it was starting to click for him. Um, he was a player who was drafted because he's a long, high-caliber athlete. So um, it really did look like it was starting to come together. Everybody talks about um, 
I think it was Monday Night Football. They played the New England Patriots and beat him. He shut and, down Cooks, right? Yeah, everybody talks oh about it. He God. shut down Cooks, and it was it was extreme. It was one of the better games, you know, of an NFL season. He followed Cooks around, shut him completely down. Um, it for, carried momentum into the off season. Um, for those who didn't know, that was Week One of most fancy playoffs, and I was right. Cooks, Cooks on Monday Night, I believe, and I was playing against him. I yep. needed him like seven points or less, and my boy Howard just shut his ass down. He really did, yeah. And, uh, I'm, everybody talks about that game because it was it was one of the most impressive quarterback performances of the season. Um, just the way that he shut down Brandon Cooks. Um, but that really was kind of just an encapsulation of his entire uh, season. So if that's the type of momentum that you're going to take into uh, into the offseason and you know bring it into next year, that's huge for this team. So um, those are your two outside corners. Then they extended Bobby Kane this offseason. Um, who's coming off of a strong season in the slot. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you have one through three all the way locked down. Then you talk about um, depth on the outside. Tony Lippett, um, he was a wide receiver turned cornerback, tore his eight, uh, Achilles last year. But um, he was starting ahead of Cordrea Tankersley, you know, before he tore his Achilles. I don't see any way in which Lippett gets back over Tankersley. But um, at least there's depth with starting experience in this group. Um, like I said, just much more positive overall than um, most other parts of the defense. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of good good stuff out there. Even with Bobby McCain. Gotta love that player. Yeah, underrated. Um, how you feel about these uh safeties here? And this is where Minka Fitzpatrick could potentially just change the entire outlook of the defense. And you know, you talk about, you know, can a first round pick rookie really do something like that? Um oh, and schematically, sorry. yeah, and especially with a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick, because he can play almost everywhere, you know every single spot on the team and you know that includes linebacker so um you look at their safeties you know Rashad Jones is obviously a starter um he's a combination safety he can play in the box he can play deep he can really do it all you know arguably a top five safety in the NFL when he's going at his game um TJ McDonald similar in that he can he is technically a combination safety I like him more in the box um it's unfortunate because I like Rashad Jones more in the box as well but um I do like TJ McDonald more in the box. Um, he is a physical tackler. Um, he's definitely a uh, downhill penetrator. But, you know, so you have those two. And then Mika Fitzpatrick is, you know, is he the third safety? Or, you know, what is where is he going to fit in? Because, you know, they talked about he could play cornerback, but you have Tankersley and Howard, who, you know, I love. Um, Bobby McCain in the slot, you know, that's where Minka played a lot last season. Then you start to get back to, you know, my questions with a lot of the players at linebacker. You know, Ra- Raquan McMillan's coming off an injury. Alonzo injuries hampered his career. Is Stephon Anthony a bust? Is Jerome Baker too young and inexperienced to get onto the field? Mika Fitzpatrick might end up playing a lot more than we think, and it might end up being in the box. Or you bring in a, a guy like TJ McDonald, and you slide him into the box. And then Minka Fitzpatrick, who is this, you know, we know him as a high, you know, a, a heady player, a very smart player who can get from sideline to sideline. Now you stick him in the way back, you have him directing things in, in front of him. And, you know, that's TJ McDonald in front of him, and that's Rashad Jones, another quarterback of the defense. So you start to get these guys playing off of each other, not only playing off of each other, but playing in different roles. Um, this is where all of a sudden you start to have something. And um, I've talked about the lack of the pass rush in the interior defensive line and how, I, you know, maybe McMillan is blitzing well enough to sustain it. Maybe Stefan Anthony can blitz well enough to sustain it. Minka Fitzpatrick is a superstar when it comes to blitzing. 
So, you know, you start to look, oh, well, they have issues in the pass rush. Well, there's Minka. Oh, they have issues at middle linebacker. Well, there's Minka. Oh, they need a free safety. Well, there's Minka. I mean, <laughs> he, like, he literally can't do all of these spots, but he's going to add so much to this entire team schematically to where they can start to move things around. They can start to shuffle players around and things can start to work around Minka Fitzpatrick. So, um, like I said, Rashad Jones is an amazing safety, but it's so hard to talk about this defensive back end without talking about the impact that Minka Fitzpatrick's going to have just in one season. Yeah, I, I kind of love that draft pick from them because, like, it's not like they didn't really know where to put him, but like they're going to put him like basically anywhere and yeah, everywhere. Like I said, he 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 fills every single weakness. You know, whatever spot it is, he <laughs> fills their weaknesses. Just a hell of a player out there. All right, well, let's wrap up this defense. Is that we got all the positions right? Yep. All right, well, this defense, they finished about average, about yards, everything last year. Do you, do you see them excelling like above average, below average of like next year ranks? Where do you have them? Um, I probably have them, you know, maybe plateauing or if not even taking a small step back. And it really is. I just can't get over the lack of interior pass rush. You know, I talked about, yeah, maybe the guy coming off, of, you know, the second year player who hasn't taken an NFL snap and is coming off of season ending surgery. Maybe he could help in the pass rush. You know, maybe Stephon Anthony, who's been deemed a bust by everybody, can step up in the pass rush. You know, maybe Minka could step up. But I just said, you know, maybe you need him to play free safety as well. So it, it's there on paper and you could tell the story to where it works out. But it's just there's too much optimism to be had when you look at it from, you know, a level-headed playing field. Um, you're asking for a lot. I mean, a lot from Minka Fitzpatrick to resolve some of these issues. Um, I don't trust them in the middle as far as uh, defensive line depth. I don't trust them in the middle as far as linebacker depth. So that makes it hard for me to buy completely into this team. But um, there are the pieces. You know, Tankersley could take that step forward that I'm calling for. Um, Jones and Minka could just fit perfectly, and it could happen. Um, like I said, they could be rotating four edge rushers and getting serious sacks. It's just, you know, if everything clicks, it's great. I just don't know if, you know, I'm not betting on every single light to switch on, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, Fence fans, you heard it here first. I mean, just down year maybe for you guys. I mean, last year you guys went ten, uh, six and ten, and Vegas this year has you guys at six and a half. Parker, how do you feel about the over under six and a half? I feel pretty much like Vegas has it on this one. Um, I have them sitting right between that six and seven win line. I really do. Um, wow. Yeah, I think that if it clicks, if it all, like I said, if that defense took a step forward, if we finally started to figure out who Tannehill is, um, maybe you do have a 9-7 and seven team. I think that's probably the ceiling. Um, I do think that, you know, this thing could turn, you know, the, the wheels could go bad, you know. Like I said, they have nothing at linebacker, you know, right now. They have nothing on the interior. If yeah. nothing emerges in those spots, um, you're looking at, you know, hammer the under so i'm gonna just stay clear of this total personally um i have them going six and ten this season i think that it's just you know like i said the ceiling's nine and seven the four is the floor is probably four and twelve so you know six and ten is kind of right in between the two so um that's just where i see this team until they can start to answer you know just questions on questions on questions that they have right now all right well you heard your first ladies and gentlemen this is our uh, second pod here. It's on the uh, good old Miami Dolphins. And just like the Bills, we got him finishing very low in his AFC East. Um, any final remarks on these uh, Dolphins fans? Maybe a little promising things? Like what could possibly – I mean, they're in South Beach already. I mean, they're, they're living the life. I mean, <laughs> you know, what else do they got going here? Yeah, I mean, you could argue that um, – I talked about in the Bills podcast, and you could listen to it, that they're kind of buying into the 76ers philosophy of, you know, let's trust the process. Let's – tear this thing up and build it back up. You could argue that the core of young players 
here in Miami is already, you know, ahead of the core of young players in Buffalo, um, despite Buffalo coming off of a playoff loss. So um, I really like Bellage. I really think that, you know, we're talking about future here, in my opinion. Um, I oh, like yeah. Bellage in the future. I think that you could get him going at some point. Um, I like Kasiki. I think that, you know, if you get an offensive coordinator who knows what he's doing with him, and you have, you know, Bellage and Kasiki, that's a tight end who can play in the slot, and that's a running back who can play in the slot. So those are two players that I really like, and I really like the upside of them. Like I said, Tunsil could take a huge step forward. This is his second year in a position. Um, Charles Harris, you're hoping for it this year. Um, and then the cornerbacks and the safeties. Um, I just love, love, love the secondary. Um, it's probably a lot more underrated than a lot of people think. Um, keep your eye on Cordrea, Tankersley, and Xavier and Howard. I think they're both um, they're both potential breakout players. And then you know the obvious thing to watch is how do you use Minka? Because I just kind of profiled every possible scenario. Um, it's not going to be all of them. It's going to be one of them. So how do you use Minka Fitzpatrick? Is really you know that's just worth watching. Even if you're a six and ten team, um, I'll still be tuning in to see how they use Minka Fitzpatrick. Absolutely. And listen, uh, Bills fans and Dolphins fans, I mean, Tom Brady, he's due to retire within, uh, I'd say, (laughs) the next five to ten years. (laughs) One of these years he's going to leave, guys. So the Dolphins, another positive for you, Tom Brady just destroys the Bills. You guys at least take a game every single year. They give him a game every time, yeah. And so listen, you guys have a little hope there whenever Brady retires and these Patriots quit winning this damn division. But until then, Dolphins fans, thanks for listening. And uh, we're going to continue to do these podcasts on uh, the AFC East. Uh, next, uh, with next team, Parker, what do we have here? Uh, the Jets. J-E-T-S. So, uh, Jets fans, be ready. We're coming for you. Until then, I'll see you next time, Parker. Seven, right, guys, have a good one.